Welcome to the Sound Words Podcast, where it's our goal to help Christians love and live out God's Word. I'm Aaron Nicholson. I'm a pastor here at Indian Hills Community Church. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. And today, I'm with my friend, Pastor Peter Barber. How's it going, Aaron? Going well. How are you? Doing well. Good to see you. Good. Good to see you. And thank you for for being on the podcast and sharing your wisdom with us. My pleasure. Thanks for asking. It's a privilege to have you. So, Peter is the lead pastor at Central Bible Church in Kalispell, Montana. It's impressive. Nice work. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I researched a little bit. (laughs) Uh, Peter has been preaching there since 2015. Uh, Yes. About eight years. Yep. A little over eight years. Yep. And before then, Peter actually worked here at Indian Hills Community Church as a pastor and as an intern as well. Yeah, before that. Yeah. It goes back quite a ways. Yeah. And so I've known you basically all my life yeah. uh, since we both attended this church for many years. And we've served together. We've served in, in the music ministry together, the college, and I'm sure many other ministries. Yeah. Yeah. So I've learned a lot and I'm continuing to learn a lot from you. Well, I appreciate it. Likewise. Well, today we want to do pick your brain on James chapter three. So I understand you've been preaching through the book of James and you finished. We did. We finished up just before we came. We've been here almost two weeks now on vacation and okay. by the grace of God and the skin of my teeth. I've never timed anything preaching quite so well as wrapping it up the day that we were wow. preparing to leave. So that was the day six- before vacation. So like you left on a Monday? I finished on Sunday. We had vacation Bible school the same week that you you had vacation Bible mm-hmm. school here. My wife Melissa is the director for Vacation Bible School and I get to teach and do some upfront stuff for that. So we did that week. Friday, we got everything torn down and thrown into my office, and then we got on an airplane and wow, and came here. That's that's amazing. God's providence right there. God's providence. That worked out. Yeah. Well, so we're going to take you back a few weeks then, because we're going to ask you about James chapter 3. James chapter... All right. Which talks about the tongue. I've got my preaching notes right here. So my first question for you is about verse 1. The preaching of the word is certainly a good thing. I think we would all agree with that. We would, yes. And... The question I have for you then is, why does the Bible give a warning to teachers in verse 1? Yeah, particularly, he says, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Obviously, mm-hmm. the incurring a stricter judgment is the is the warning part of that, saying, watch your words. And he goes on, verse 2 is instructive in that too. He says, because we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. So the tongue is, it's hard not to sin with your words. Mm -hmm. And a teacher inherently uses his tongue and in a very serious way. Anytime someone says, thus saith the Lord, what he says next ought to be what the Lord says. Mm -hmm. And he has to use his words, obviously, to do that. Right. Not as a prophet necessarily, but when we come to God's word and we open God's word, which is what a teacher ought to do, and explain God's word and help to talk about the implications of God's word, his words need to be in line with what God would actually say. So if somebody wants to become a teacher, say they, they come up to you on a Sunday and say, yeah. hey, I'm interested in teaching, you bring this up right away? There certainly is a, a an element of, you know, I want to look at what this person's speech looks like on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And if that is something that is a, a regular problem or a regular issue, then, you know, that needs to be a consideration. Also, you know, one of those things that we would want to look at if someone is is pursuing that that office or that role on a regular basis in the church is how do they handle God's word? Do they do they speak it accurately? Do are they careful not to go beyond what it says? All sorts of different things like that. 
So some people have looked at this and said, well, James is sort of putting down the office of teacher. And I think actually he's doing exactly the opposite. He's lifting it up. Mm. He's saying, look, there is a heavy accountability for what comes out of your mouth, not only teaching, but also then in the normal course of life as well. That becomes a particularly pointed and important part of the discussion in James' day as he writes to the first generation of the church. They certainly had teachers, but a lot of times it seems that the services and the gatherings were a little more informal or maybe open to people speaking and discussions, maybe kind of like we would have in our Sunday school classes. We might have a discussion group or something like that where there were opportunities for people to give insight into what was being taught and the principles that God's word gave. And first Corinthians, each one of you bring a psalm, bring a teaching. Yeah, these yeah. kinds of things where there was the opportunity for group discussion, so to speak. We have a little more formal setting for our main church services generally. So I think that that discussion obviously covers both ends of the spectrum there. So as a teacher, I need to be careful because my words are inherently multiplied and where there are many words. Yeah, transgression. Transgression is unavoidable, yeah. right? So yeah, you're right, and I like that point. They're given more weight too. It's not just your everyday conversation where you still got to be careful in what you say, right? But now you're preaching, and people are going to take that and apply that to their lives. Yeah, going to change their lives based on you would. How we they would expect the that. truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We would expect that that somebody's going to hear that and say, "Oh, that's what God's word says," mm-hmm. and those these are the implications for my life. And so I need I need to be careful about the words that come out of my yeah. mouth. Yeah. And and they speak loudly because that person, if he's teaching well, he, he's saying, this is what God says. We better be on top of that. There's power in it. There which is. leads me to the second question. Look at That's a professional segue. You like right that there. segue? I like yeah, it. Thank you. <laughs> so James 3, 3 through 6 talks about different illustrations, metaphors. Yeah. And he gives the example of a rudder and a ship, a fire and a f- setting a forest, a flame, and the, the bit in the horse's mouth. Yep. So what do these illustrations mean? What are they pointing at? Yeah, so there's a common thread through all three of those, right? And each one gives a little bit different emphasis to that common thread. The common thread is something little that does something really big, right? Both for good and for mm-hmm. and for bad, good and evil, the bit and the horse and the rudder and the ship both bring this idea of it's something very small that gives direction to something that's very big. So I can direct the horse in the right direction or the wrong direction, or I can sail the ship safely through dangerous waters or into disaster. So it's something that's very small. It's a very small part of our body. It's a very small part of our anatomy, but it's an enormous part of our life, both for good and for bad. You know, when the Bible says that life and death are in the power of the tongue, it, it means what it says. Your words will never leave a circumstance the same way that they that it was. It will make it better or it will make it worse. Hmm. We see for life to restore one from sin, we can use our words to edify and give grace, according to Ephesians 4.29, to comfort the grieving, encourage the suffering, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, 5.11, to bring and express love, 1 Timothy 1.5 to comfort the grieving, all of these things are done with with a word. The same way, though, for death, words deceive the unsuspecting, according to Romans 6.18. They pull churches apart. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. They can deceive, Ephesians 5.6. We can abuse one another with our tongues, according to Colossians 3.8. We can exploit people, according to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. So for better or for worse, that 
little piece of your anatomy can bring health and restore life in a real mm-hmm. way or or foster life or it can bring death and destruction with a very small thing and these are things something very little does something very big something seemingly insignificant controls and gives direction to something that is immensely powerful immensely powerful yeah. so we think I live in northwest montana and every year we have winter we have like two weeks of summer, and then we have fire season. Hmm. And it's amazing. You hear, you know, somebody was driving down the highway and driving through some dry grass land and a chain sparked, you know, (laughs) dragged along the highway and sparks and a tiny spark and millions of acres. And see how great a forest is set ablaze. A a small fire. Yeah. Yeah. And, And it happens like that. It's... It's astounding, and it really ought to cause us to stop and really consider how we use the tongue. Yeah, how many trials have come about? How many relationships have been ruined? How many wars have been started yeah. because of the misuse of the tongue? Yep. But I also it's appreciate the deal. positive outlook on that, too. I think I maybe think about the negative more because the, it ends with a forest is set aflame by a fire, and that's right. a bad thing. Yeah. But you're right. Uh, a rudder directing a ship or a bit in a horse's mouth, that, that's used for good. Right. And so should your tongue. Yeah. Like I said, in Proverbs, it says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And mm-hmm. that's amazing. And then Proverbs also says that we will eat of the fruit uh, of our speech. So I use the illustration oftentimes that let your speech produce cherries and not tomatoes because mm-hmm. cherries are delicious. And Amen. Tomatoes. Tomatoes are not. I think that the fruit in the garden was a tomato. And yeah. there's a lost passage where the tomato was cursed. <laughs> I just haven't found it yet. <laughs> so verses two, verses seven through eight. Why yes. is it that no one can tame the tongue? This tongue is so powerful. Humans, uh, God has blessed humans with incredible minds. Why can no one tame the tongue? Because the tongue is a reflection of what's in our heart. I mean, when it comes right down to it, that's that's the issue, right? The mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart, mm-hmm. Jesus said in Matthew. So... If I'm continually trying to fight the battle at the at the level of my tongue, I've lost already because whatever is in my heart is going to come out. And so if I think poorly of a person, if I talk about them long enough, I will speak poorly of them. Mm-hmm. If I think well of someone left to be candid with my tongue, I'll speak well of them. The reality is it's, the, it's my heart that has to be tamed first. Mm-hmm. You know... One of the things that really actually drew me to James' letter was this idea of wholehearted worship. There are some indications that as James works through that he has particularly like Deuteronomy 6 in mind, and there you have sort of the f- the fundamental Jewish passage, mm-hmm. uh, hero Israel, the Lord is God, and yeah. the Lord is one, and you shall worship the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you think the royal law is a reference to that in chapter, in chapter two? Yeah, I I think he's pointing back in particular to God's principles and to what God lays out in the law and what really lay behind that. Mm. And what does Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what really becomes the layout? We were talking about this before the podcast a little bit. James is notoriously difficult to sort of outline, which is one of the challenges for me. My brain is very like 
systematic I need to go through, what are yeah. the sections right. and all that kind of notes. stuff. It's yeah. Very, very impressive. <laughs> but in something like James, so James has kind of a chain link layout design where he'll talk about a subject and then he'll mention something at the end and he'll link those two subjects together by picking up that idea that he mentions at the end and that sort of that sort of sends him off into the next link in the chain. So the the book of James has been has been illustrated or has been likened to someone who has a handful of pearls and drops them into our hands, pearls of wisdom one at a time. And I said I think that's close, but I think what you really have is a pearl necklace. So you have these discrete sections of wisdom that are laid out. But I think we do well if we understand that those sections of wisdom are really tied together. The tie that binds them, I think, is this idea of wholehearted worship. It is always being duplicitous. That is the the primary enemy in James is duplicity, is doing things that are inconsistent with, with knowing God and loving God and with our faith. And so we see that our faith is active, mm-hmm. uh, like I know Jesse has talked about. But sin is always at odds with what we say we believe, and we need to live in a manner that's consistent with what we believe. And and that all comes from being wholehearted worshipers. I've, I've mm-hmm. come a long way around, but it brings it back to you then. That's why James hits so many times on the tongue, is because it exposes our hearts. And if there is duplicity in our hearts, if we are not wholehearted, the first and primary and most honest place that we are probably going to see that is in the way that we speak. Mm-hmm. It's part of the reason in chapter one, he says, if anyone thinks himself to be religious yet does not bridle, bridle his tongue, right? He deceives his own heart and this man's religion is worthless, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself unstained by the world. And so the very first thing he drives at in pure and undefiled religion is a bridled tongue. Well, what does it take to bridle my tongue? Well, I have to bridle my heart, mm-hmm. and my I have to be wholehearted in my worship of God, which will lead to being wholehearted in my love for my neighbor, which will reflect itself in in yeah. in my speech. Yeah, that's very helpful. It's a long answer, but I think that's a a big part of why he talks about you cannot bridle the tongue at the level of your tongue if you're fighting the battle of of your speech trying to choke back what's in your heart yeah, is it's a losing battle. I think of it like a symptom of a major problem. Yeah. You can band-aid that's the good. symptom, but you won't cure the problem unless you attack it at the source. And right. And that's the heart. For a believer, Christ Christ can do that. Yes. It can yeah. change your heart. So what we're looking at is the, is the transformation of the heart. Mm-hmm. In bridling my tongue, my only hope is to have my heart transformed and then to live in a way that is consistent with that. Obviously, in reality... Sometimes I'll have to catch something at my tongue yeah. and I still need to do that. Well, that's how you know you have a sickness is because you see a symptom or you feel a symptom. Right. But uh, what are some common ways Christians sin with their tongue? What are some of those common symptoms that point back to the root problem? Yeah. So I think two of the major ones are the way we talk about God and the way we talk about others. Who else is you know, there? You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and the way that I talk about myself yeah. also in, in all of that. But how do I talk about God? Is, is my speech toward him and about him reverent. And, you know, we maybe think of swear words and using God's name in vain and different things like that. And and obviously those are issues in and of themselves, mm-hmm. but much more often and maybe much more penetratingly for a lot of us is how do I speak about others? What? And so first, what comes to mind when I think of other people? And then how does that reflect it in how I speak? Mm-hmm. Both about them and also to them. 
you know, speaking to others harshly, speaking to others dismissively, speaking to others, you know, what are, what is all of that? That's a reflection really of what I think of them. Of what's going on inside. Yeah. Yeah. It says in first Peter, love one another fervently from the heart. Yeah. And love covers a multitude of sins. And mm-hmm. so if we, if we work on that problem, that issue, yeah, it will be reflected in our speech, in yep. our actions, yep. in whatever we think. Yeah. So how can we grow to be more Christ-like in our speech? The first part of that is the transformation that happens, obviously, first and foremost at salvation, when I come to receive the new birth by faith. And then as the new covenant promises, uh, we receive a new heart. Now, the reality is, in practice, that heart is still being renewed. Uh, our hearts are still being worked on by the Lord and by his grace, he does that constantly and he is doing that constantly. And then the reflection of that really becomes, I mean, grow in humility, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if I am arrogant, I, I won't think highly of others. I won't think highly of God first and foremost, and I won't think highly of other people. And it becomes key in this passage, James talks about how do you talk about people who are made in the image of God? That becomes seriously formative in how I talk to and about other people. So recognize that when I talk to you, when I talk to my kids, when I talk to my wife, I'm talking to or about someone who's made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And so Genesis tells us that the one who strikes out at an image bearer of God, Genesis 9 says the one who strikes at an image bearer of God strikes at God whose image he bears. And that's why that's why capital punishment is an instrument entrusted to the the government. Mm-hmm. And so when I take part in character assassination, that's striking at the image of God, that's striking at God himself. So that change needs to happen, but humility by definition is what? Thinking of others as more important than myself, mm-hmm. right? And maybe the key passage in the whole book of James, maybe the key statement in James is in chapter four. He says in verse six, God gives a greater grace, and it says, therefore, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In verse 10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. That heart of humility, where I consider my fellow believer, where I consider the people around me as more important than myself, right? that determines how I talk to them. And it will determine how I use my words. It, yeah. it just will. If I think highly of someone else, then then I'll speak highly of them. And there's there certainly also is a discipline in that process as well. I don't want to say that that battle is fought only at the level of the heart, because the reality is my heart isn't always where it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm still responsible to guard my mouth, right? to guard the tongue, which means that sometimes I'll just, I'll have to choke back words. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. There are so many commands um, that speak to the habits that we Mm -hmm. have of our speech. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, do not, I think in the next verse, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law. I mean, we're talking about practical things. Don't speak against people. Right. All the one another's of scripture are are interpersonal speaking. and And humility is at the center of the wisdom of our speech. I think of someone else as more important than I am, and I won't speak against them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not fake it till you make it, but sometimes I recognize that I do have to fight the battle here, but really the the heart of the battle is in my heart. Take care of the source. Yeah. 
Well, awesome. Well, thank you, Peter, for sharing these words of wisdom. My and pleasure. Walking us through what you've preached recently. So yeah, thank you for your ministry and My being pleasure. faithful. Likewise. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Keep it up. Well, and thanks, listeners, for listening to the Sound Words podcast. Be sure to follow us on YouTube or Facebook or Instagram to be notified about upcoming episodes. And I will close with our theme verse, 2 Timothy 1.13. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.